this little button it says got it <laughs> got it if Not you hit okay. the other thing it just got kicks it. you out i accidentally did that one time yeah is that true i didn't know that <laughs> yep oh man i saw uh austin messaged me earlier a thing about like what we we would be talking about and right away i was like I'm on this episode to shit post when the Satanists get mad again. And I accept my role of being able to shit post against them to the point where they just quit tweeting, you know? Well, they, I actually am going to speak favorably about Anton LaVey at a certain point in this, in this, this show. So I'll call, like, I'll call up Stacy and I won't let that happen. <laughs> <laughs> Man, they, they, they were, they were big, mad, big, big, mad. And of course, it was my turn to run social media because Dalton was going through all of his his personal stuff that he's dealing with. And so I'm like, of all the times, take over that stupid fucking Twitter account. This is what happens. I was so I, was like, I, I responded to three messages, and then I was like, I'm out of here. I'm not doing Man, this anymore. All those people that were tweeting you mad about it need to understand that if your religion could be taken out by a podcast. Probably not that big good of a religion to begin with, right? <laughs> but it's, if one podcast could uh, upset everything, then you probably in a bad religion. Took them to their core. And then Stacy went out band? there. Stacy was throwing grenades. <laughs> oh, yeah. Going back and forth with the actual Twitter account of. Oh, uh, Stacy loves to argue, dude. They yeah. don't even know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So I, I was going to, because. Uh, we are recording this without Dalton. So I have now officially done more episodes of If You Catch My Grip than Dalton has. <laughs> Hold that over his head. Yeah, and it'll never change because he's never going to write an episode. So it, I, I really have to be here. Uh, <laughs> I've wrote more episodes than Dalton. That's true. <laughs> so has Orange Flacity. True. <laughs> Very true. Um so it was, I, I, this was just this weird thing happened to me this week, and I figure I'll, I'll kick it off, and then we can talk a little bit about Belle Delphine, because I'm Ooh, fascinated yeah. by what's going on with her right now. Okay. Keeps, she keeps showing up on my Twitter, and I was like, how is this happening? <laughs> but um, I was I was taking an, an Uber to work, because I woke up late, and I was a mess, and so I was like, I'm just going to get in the car. And so we're going, and the, the guy whose car it is has a, on some pop radio station. I don't really listen to the, the radio, like music on the radio. And they come on and there's like a contest, right? And it's like, so if you were going to go with this number and um, if your name is the name that we call out, give us a call in 10 minutes and you win a thousand bucks. And I'm just passively listening to it. I'm almost at work. And then they said my name, my first and last name on the radio. No and I was like, what? And, was, and but I wasn't really listening, so I didn't get, catch the numbers. So I Googled and, you know, I was like, let me find the contest number and I'll call him. I'll call him when I get out of the car because I would rather eat glass than talk on a phone in an Uber. That just, <laughs> like, even note. for money. Yeah, even for money. I was like, uh, well, I was calculating. I was like, I'm like three minutes away. And they said I had 10 minutes. So I think I, I can time this out. I'll jump out of the car. And then I'll call. So I call and one of the DJs picks up. And he's like, what's your name? And I told him my name. And he's like, hey, hang on, hang on just a minute. And there's still music playing. And so then they come back and I'm with all three of the DJs on the morning show. <laughs> and they were like, what's your name? And I told them and they were like, yeah, excited. Oh, we got a winner. And then I guess they took me off again and they said, what's your, we just need to verify two things, your birthday and your email. And I gave them and they're like, oh, 
we're we're looking for a different Austin. And I was like, Aww. what do you mean? And they're like, oh, did you sign up for our app? And I was like, I'm not signing up for your stupid fucking app. Like, I don't want to be on a radio station mailing yeah. list. Like, And they're like, oh, well, you should sign up for it. But yeah, you were looking for a guy named Austin in Yonkers. And I was like, okay, that's fine. Whatever. <laughs> like, just just a random i mean listen you're in a car and somebody on the radio says if you're if this is your name and they give out your first and last name call this number and yeah. you can win a thousand dollars you're gonna call like yeah for sure this is new york city too there's definitely a lot of people that have my name in new york city just to, by the numbers so i wonder how often that happens where they have people calling what a bad in. plan for right? uh, a contest poorly executed i'm not signing up for that app either so they lost uh on both accounts but i guess they kept their thousand no, they won they kept a thousand dollars they definitely won <laughs> i mean i didn't i wasn't listening that closely it was probably like a thousand dollars to like macy's or something it's like how am I, what am i going to spend that on at a macy's the dumbest shit you can to probably <laughs> yeah for sure because it's not even your money at that point. no it's yeah. true just got another jacket with like the fur inside yeah, like, yeah. god i would love that that's a good jacket. Get one with the fur on the outside. <laughs> fur inside and fur outside. Just all fur. Because <laughs> I need to look more like a teddy bear than I do already with the fur on the outside. Exactly. <laughs> there used to be, I think it's, it was probably, I mean, the, the, when I'm describing it, it has to be Howard Stern, where they would play like, you know, like little soundboards, bites. Yeah. Uh, it was from a gay porn. It was somebody telling a bear to roar for him. <laughs> well speaking of i mean bears we're definitely we don't have dalton here with us today but we do have ed from Pod Van Dam. so we are continuing the streak of two bears one twink um we've just <laughs> we've just substituted the twink this episode i'm not drinking tito's this time no that's true i mean no. you can this may be long. no 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 <laughs> this isn't my uh show to run this time so just i'm saying california sober yeah you've you've well you've listened to this right you you understand yeah. what the other the other twink that you've replaced usually I'm no does Dalton. <laughs> yeah i'm no Dalton, though. but yeah no i'm 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 happy you were you, you were able to come and and help me out with this this particular story i'm glad you agreed to to join us you were you were dalton's hand-picked successor yeah, uh, he was like the only person that I want is Ed. Like, okay. The only person I want replacing me on Pod Van Dam was Kurt. <laughs> <laughs> we can get a message on another podcast now. Kurt from the Stink Sheet, everybody. There you go. You're gonna have to do my. You're gonna have to do the closing credits because Dalton never writes them down, and I don't remember all the shows I'm supposed to say. So I, I'll just use mine that I have for Pod Van Dam. Yeah. <laughs> most of them. Yeah. 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 I mean, listen, we've been doing the same shows for like. 40 something episodes now and i, I think the only one we got to add is against austin and you're good yeah i'm not i'm not doing that Dwayne hasn't earned that yet <laughs> <laughs> he does a show with you sometimes <laughs> dude i don't think uh, we've done a patreon show in months <laughs> people still give us money it's really dumb it's really stupid <laughs> just thank it man hey. um so yeah last time you were on i just checked it was the end of january it's been that long uh, oh, I know, right? I was like, that just, I was thinking it was like, oh, maybe six months ago. No, God, almost a year. Um, but when we had you on, you were talking about Belle Delphine. Yeah, my hero. Love that girl. Um, and she kind of res like resurfaced after a little bit. After... I mean, she did. It's just not fun. Yeah. I just keep she... seeing. So I, I, I texted you and you laughed because I keep seeing uh, her on my Twitter with Oliver Tree. 
And I'm like, what is going yeah. on here with these two? <laughs> I don't know. I know you don't know. You don't have an insight. Um, when she, this last comeback she did was the most uninteresting one to me because it is literally she's just doing porn, which is like good, get that money, but like that's the least interesting part of Belle Delphine to me is the actual uh, porn part, and that's it's just her playing with her vagina and her butthole a lot for money. <laughs> and it's like there's no like she's not doing any other weird shit with it. So I'm just like I don't know. It's just what she's doing now. It's she did, did have a little scandal though for a bit where I had to defend her because people were like that's racist, and I was just like I don't think she. Um, there's another dude on Twitter. I forget his name, but he's African American, right? And they did a photo shoot together. But I think he's like a Minecraft YouTuber or something. Oh God. So he's like someone that should not be in a sexy photo shoot. <laughs> like that's the whole thing. And that's why it's funny. But they did like Princess Peach and Donkey Kong. And he dressed up like Donkey Kong. And people gave her shit about how that's racist. All right. I mean, probably bad Which optics. I, it's bad um, optics for sure. Yeah, it's, it's I yeah, I don't I don't think her thought going into it was like, we're going to do some racist shit. No, <laughs> like, no, no. I don't think there was there probably wasn't any malice. But yeah, the optics are not good. Well, I, I, the only thing I put together was that Oliver is touring Europe right now, so I'm sure you know oh, they're probably sense. internet friends, and they went over yeah. there and did something. And I was like, I just thought it was very strange to see. And I, I'm a little disappointed because I feel like the last time we talked, the only time we really talked about her, like was like she rode off in the sunset with bags of yep. cash. And it's like, why do you need to come back? You don't Some more bags of cash. I guess. I guess. I wonder if she ran through it all. She um. This uh, So this is the only update I have on her. I don't think she ran through it all. She does live in a really nice, she lives on the country in like a nice big house. Like she's living life and it's doing good. She got um, a boob job and, but she'll, she's never shown her boobs. And she's like, so this is going to be real deep in the weeds with her pornography. <laughs> her porn used to be a lot of like, not her vagina. Right. Okay. But this next like this comeback this porn is basically all her vagina and never her boobs and it seems like in her brain she is not too happy with the breast augmentation that she got interesting yes because it is all vagina and butthole like this last week that everything i've seen it's all vagina and butthole like that is it wow i i don't even know what to like how to take that because it's just I i don't know i think it's I don't know. I guess I'm more bummed out that yeah. I just was like, man, I really wanted her to see do her well. And there's nothing wrong with doing sex work. And if that's really what she wants to do, go for it. But she just, you know, I think like you said, she used to be a lot funnier about that kind yeah. of stuff. And it just feels like, man, where's the, where's the, where's the angle? Where's the creativity? There's none. Yeah, that's the thing is there's no, there's no art. There's no like hidden thing behind it where there's like a wink and a nudge to it. It's just, she's just like, no, give me money and I'll show you my vagina. And that's people are doing it, and that's yeah, yeah. which is good. It's just uninteresting yeah. to me. Girl, make your money, make yeah. your money. Um, well, I'm glad we did our episode when we did it because it felt like that yeah. was that was good timing, and it was a very well written episode, Ed. Thank you. Uh, I I probably got a little messy at the end, but <laughs> <laughs> well, Butters had to edit it. <laughs> there was there was a segment that got cut, but it was in the post credit stuff. Uh, with the absolute best thing where you two created a Bronx uh, Amazon driver. Oh, UPS uh, driver. Still, yes, that was my favorite thing in the world. Like <laughs> that, the, the fact that this guy was all upset that he couldn't deliver your yellow makeup to you. Oh, uh, my. For your, for your costume, for yeah. Pikachu thing, yeah. Yes, it was amazing. That was my favorite yeah. thing that I think I've ever uh, had a hand in was, was that. So 
He loves Amazon drivers love making dreams come true. And that guy feels like he didn't deliver. He wanted to be an ally. That's all he's ever wanted. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, welcome to uh, Grift Van Dam. Um, (laughs) We are here. Uh, I am Austin. and I'm here with Ed. Hello. <laughs> and the bestest producer in all of podcast history, Charlie Butters. Have a no. <laughs> See, thank you for filling in. You're welcome. Um, and yeah, so we're we're here to talk. Um, kind of a follow up in a way from from the last episode we put together, which seems like it was ages ago because it was and. You know, we've had some real life stuff kind of get in the way, but we're back up and running. And um, we're going to talk about a dude named Ted Gunderson. This is and about Satan, right? It's yeah. It's actually we're going to talk about this guy and his role in the satanic panic. In it's the 80s. so funny that we're going to do that because I went to church uh, on Sunday for the first <laughs> time in forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, my old pastor, I'm still like friendly with, like we're still tight. Like uh, he's a great guy, you know, no problems with him. Uh, he's just basically like, hey, I haven't seen you in a minute. It'd be nice if you stopped out. And I was in town, like I got breakfast. Just like, fuck it, dude, I'll stop by. So I stop out there and it's like this other pastor that's up there who I guess is like the associate pastor guy now. And he more or less is like, yeah, the uh, pastor, he, uh, we've talked and he decided to step down and he's resigning. And I go, all right. And I just got my stuff <laughs> Walked out. Like, no reason for me to be here. Yeah, right. It was just that guy. <laughs> yeah, I was just here to say hi. God. Well, you know, I think there's kind of a disappointing lack of Christianity in this story because it's not really That's about satanic panic, right? Yeah, but it's more, it's less about like the church and more about like a bunch of hysterical uh, grownups freaking out um, and and children lying to them. It's so this of- is more in the vein of cat children pooping in litter boxes these days than it would be yeah yeah, it's 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 i mean it's amazing history it may not repeat itself but it certainly rhymes it's just like like the stuff in this i'm like this is still happening i just sent uh a a tiktok to austin today actually of the uh, the people talking about that like everybody's repeating the same line saying like some like third hand person saying it. And it's like over and over again for like three and a half minutes of a TikTok uh, of, of people saying that there's kids being cats and dogs and there's a litter pan either in the restroom or in the front of the classroom. And that's where they relieve themselves. And it's, it's the funniest thing in the world to me. Every time I hear it, I was talking but, to somebody about like about Joe Rogan and I'm like, Joe Rogan is now like, people are always like, well, like he's right wing and all this stuff. And I don't really care about that. You know what Joe Rogan is? He is like a suburban housewife's Facebook feed, but like yeah. in human form. Like anything that he hears or sees on Facebook, he like spews out to his millions of listeners. He's <laughs> the worst version of Art Bell. Oh, yeah. 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 Like Art, you know how Art Bell is fun. Joe Rogan yeah. is that, but not fun. That's, you know, that's what, really funny that you talk about Art Bell because he, both he and Rogan are going to be in this story. Yeah, because Joe Rogan was an Art Bell dude, right? And Art Bell was all about satanic panic. Because Art Bell's whole thing was like, open forum, come in and call about whatever you want. I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. Yep. Uh, He also had a run-in with this guy, Ted Gunderson. Oh, hell yeah, dude. (laughs) uh, I I forgot you were an Art Bell guy. I was going to save it. Um, But I'm going to, I'll definitely throw that in now. So 
Ted Gunderson was born in Colorado Springs, Colorado, November seventh, nineteen twenty. Yeah, beautiful. Have you ever been there? Yeah, that's the used to be the uh, mega church capital of the United States. Oh no shit. Yeah, more mega churches there than anywhere else. I don't think that's probably still true. I feel like that it's probably some town in Texas. For sure, it's got to be. Right? <laughs> it was Colorado Springs. They got a big military base in Colorado Springs. It's a very conservative, weird town. But um, I think that's ironic because of kind of how this whole thing goes, his trajectory. Uh, I couldn't find a whole lot about his early years, but he uh, went to Iowa City High School in Iowa City um, for the first three years before his family moved to Lincoln, Nebraska for his senior year. Uh, and he graduated from Lincoln High School in 1946. He was not a remarkable student because <laughs> so he he joins the FBI, right? And his entire FBI personnel record is public now. And so this thing is like 2000 pages, maybe probably more. And I read or skimmed most of it, but they have like they put in his high school class ranking. <laughs> and then, like that's how thorough the background yeah. checks for the FBI were. And so he was uh, ranked 321 out of 478 students. So hey, not... better than I did. <laughs> Can you remember what I did? <laughs> I know exactly where I graduated, and I was uh, 48 out of 53. <laughs> you should wear that with pride. <laughs> uh-huh. I, well, I got that's so why I said I got that diploma. And that's all that really matters. Yep, that's it. You just grab it. And what grab if like that dude him. was so bad at high school in Lincoln, Nebraska, because he was actually reading and writing, and they were like, "No, that's not what we do here. <laughs> Get out there and farm. <laughs> yeah, go go birth some, <laughs> birth some babies, and get to church." Um, so he joins the FBI in 1952 um, after graduating from the University of uh, Nebraska with a BA in business administration. So it's kind of a whatever. He's a He's a business guy, uh, joins the FBI, and he mostly worked as a field agent. He, by the end of his career, he had attained the position of special agent in charge, which is just like that manages an, a bureau office, right? So you're like the highest ranking guy in a field office, but you're not yeah. part of the administration. You're not like up with upper management. You're just kind of like the the bestest you know, scout master of the, 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 the scout league. I don't even know. I'd have what if he didn't even that. know what the job was? He just saw field and coming from Lincoln, Nebraska, he was like, this is the job for me. <laughs> I mean, he, he talks a lot of shit, but from what I can tell, he didn't do very much. Like he was just a bureaucrat and he just yeah. like made sure that, you know, everything was copied and filed and accordingly, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's not, this is not some like real wild special agent. He had a job that would make me want to headbutt a running saw. Yeah. Oh yeah. Big time. <laughs> it's like, and reading some of the letters and stuff that he he had done, it's, it's so awful. It's not a fun job. Um, however, according to his son, who he clearly lied to, um, he had also like Gunderson worked on the Marilyn Monroe and John F. Kennedy cases when they both the died. The one where no, the CIA had them killed. The FBI had to investigate the right, CIA having yeah, them exactly. killed. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a fun story to tell because you know uh, Marilyn Monroe died in 1962, and at that time Gunderson was temporarily assigned to the training division. So he had nothing. He's not like even in the investigatory division. <laughs> he's training other agents and. Somehow they're like, this guy, let's put him on the Maryland case because he's obviously great. Um, he would he would at one point in his career lead the Los Angeles office, but it wasn't for another 15 years. So, right. He can. What about Marilyn Monroe's death made the FBI investigate it? I think her connection to John F. Kennedy. OK, 
She's going to say that seems really weird because she's just an actress. <laughs> like, you know, it's also um, J. Edgar Hoover is still running the FBI at this time. And I mean, he kept files on everybody. Oh, celebrities, politicians. Exactly. Yeah. So there was definitely something going on there. Um, it, actually, what's what's even funnier is the time of Monroe's death. Gunderson was on medical leave. So he had had to get 33 stitches because he was in his backyard and he thought he heard the phone ring in his house and he ran to get it and accidentally ran through a plate glass door that led between his patio and his oh, kitchen. Oh, he's just like me for real. He just went smashed <laughs> right through it, got cut really bad and had to get 33 stitches. So he was even, he wasn't, not only was he on the training division, he was also on medical leave at the time that, that all this happened. So it's a cute story, but it's not true. Um, he also, at some point, he does oversee the Dallas office of the FBI, but it wasn't, uh, it was 12 years after JFK was assassinated, so he wasn't <laughs> working that case either. Um, he did have one big case in 1972 when he was um, the assistant special agent in charge, so that's like the, that's like the co, like the vice manager of the place, um, when he was running the Philadelphia office. Mm. And so this is from an article in Houston Chronicle by J.R. Gonzalez. Because uh, on July 12th, 1972, National Airlines Flight 496 was en route to New York from Philadelphia when 34-year-old Navy veteran Michael Stanley Green and 22-year-old, ooh, I didn't even think to figure out how to pronounce this, Luzlake Tesla uh, brandished a 22 caliber handgun and a shotgun. Um, the two claimed to be carrying a bomb in a typewriter case. The men demanded $600,000 in ransom and a return to Philadelphia. Upon landing there, the pilot escaped, and eventually the passengers were released, after which Tesla and Green took the crew, along with some parachutes and about $500,000, and transferred to a second airplane. From Philadelphia, the 727 made its way to Texas, flying over Dallas, then southward uh, toward Intercontinental Airport and on to the Gulf of Mexico in keeping with the hijackers apparent plans to go to Jamaica. So these guys, seventies were a lot more different. They, they are a lot different time because they were able to get a shotgun on a plane. Okay, yeah. That's your plane. You just had to check it first. Yeah. They were like, here we go. It's going to go in the <laughs> overhead. Oh, that's fine. That's, yeah. We don't oh, see yeah, a problem yeah. with that. So they, uh, Gunderson was in Philadelphia and he was actually part of the team that negotiated the, the, um, the ransom and he got all 131 passengers off of the plane. So he was a big hero. You know, his, his office was credited with all that good work. Um, and then, you know, the plane eventually ran out of gas and didn't make it to Jamaica and had to do an emergency landing in Texas. So everybody was apprehended happily ever after, but the seventies were a weird time, like late sixties, early seventies, there was a lot of planes getting hijacked. So this is definitely something that was, uh, not fairly uncommon for the FBI to have to deal with. Uh, that wouldn't have happened if the WWE superstars were on that plane, <laughs> from what Chris Jericho tells me. <laughs> so, I mean, he does have this, like, one big thing that he's worked on, but he just never talks about it because he's too busy making up a bunch of bullshit about being around JFK and the Marilyn Monroe investigation. Yeah. So it's <laughs> good like, for him. Good for him. Um Yeah, he's he really, from what I could tell, he's mostly a company man. He does a lot of sucking up and he's just uh, okay at filing stuff. Like he's a good bureaucrat and that's what they need. You know, like that's, yeah. 
that's the, the FBI is mostly a bunch of lawyers. Like that's, it's not as, it's not like, uh, you know, uh, the X-Files or, you know, all these adventure movies where you see them out brandishing guns and cracking, you know, cracking open. Just a lot of filing, huh? It is. It's a lot of violence, a lot of paperwork. There's like paper trails for everything that they do. Um, but Hoover, who I mentioned earlier is, a psychopath and like it's such an insane story i don't think he's a grifter but i would love to do an episode about him because he just was involved with so many different weird plots and and uh, you should just just do a secondary show that's just called pieces of shit (laughs) new piece of shit every time if you catch this asshole look at this asshole (laughs) look at this prick Well, needless to say, Gunderson is a huge Hoover fan. He loves this man, like, worships this man. I know how much you like bootlickers, so get ready because yeah. this is a lot of bootlicking. <laughs> um, so um, for the context of the story, in 1964, at a press conference, Hoover called Martin Luther King Jr., and this is in quotes, the most notorious liar in the country. Um <laughs> This was after uh, King accused the FBI of not doing enough regarding the civil rights violations happening down south, which is pretty spot on. Like, I don't think that that's a lie. I think that the FBI didn't give a fuck about you know, civil rights. Yeah. And so, yeah, Hoover did not like that. So I want to send now read this letter that Gunderson sent to his bosses at the FBI based around this thing. So he says, during the evening of... Um, May 5th, 1965, and there's a lot of that's redacted, blank, 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 Maryland, who is the member of the same church as S.A. Gunderson, Special Agent Gunderson, um, and then they, they blank out the name, called at the home of Special Agent and Mrs. Gunderson. She stated that she had been an admirer of Martin Luther King Jr. for some time and that and has been incensed at the director ever since he called King a liar. She was advised by Gunderson that Mr. Hoover's word was unimpeachable and that any statements made by him about any subject matter, including King, are factual. So he's like, this woman from my church comes knocking on my door, telling me that it's inappropriate for (laughs) Hoover to call Martin Luther King Jr. I mean, that's a reasonable thing. She then rambled incoherently about how the FBI was not fulfilling its responsibilities in the civil rights field. She was advised that the FBI investigates civil rights allegations based on statuses passed by Congress and uh, details concerning our investigations are furnished to the Department of Justice for possible prosecution and further consideration. So he's mad that this woman knocked on his door and was like, you're racist and you're doing your job bad. And he's yep. like, this bitch over here is <laughs> talking about how we're not good at our jobs. Yes. And so, um, <laughs> so I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. He goes, says Gunderson has been an elder at the Presbyterian Church since 1959 and an active member um, of the seat, session of the blank again, Presbyterian Church USA since 1961. During the last few months at this church, um, this church has been split over civil rights issues and an internal fight has developed within the session. Gunderson has refused to be involved in this matter because of his official capacity. And as a result on three thirty one sixty five, he resigned from the session. <laughs> he got so mad that this woman was talking about civil rights. He left yeah. the church. She just said, I'm not going to be part of this church anymore. Yeah. No church of mine is going to care about civil rights and That's talk right. shit about Hoover. 
Yeah, that's right. Um, so the, above, <laughs> the above is submitted for information purposes. Gunderson will ensure that he will not become involved in any way with this situation. So he's good little soldier. Take your orders. I promise, oh, yeah, you know, I'm, tell daddy I'm on his side. I'm not going to mess. I'm not going to. I'm going to quit my church if I have to for Hoover. Um, Gunderson. Like, take, I like Jesus and everything, but I love Hoover. But I love Hoover. It's just problematic in a lot of ways considering yeah, it's a, it's, i'll tell you it's not a lot has changed <laughs> you know right. coming for somebody that's gone to church uh you know regularly over the last five years six years uh it's not a uh, not very different it so he kind of goes a little a little bonkers he definitely goes further than he should i would assume he room. goes bonkers because we're talking about an elder of the church and then ends up with the church satan <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, I just meant his affection for Hoover goes a little crazy too, because he um he wrote the following letter to Los Angeles Times in 1978. All right. Hoover died in 1972. Okay. He's dead. And this is the this is what Gunderson has written to the LA Times. He talks to this is the writing to the executive vice president and editor of the Los Angeles Times it says, Dear Mr. Thomas, on January 13th, 1978, your newspaper printed an editorial um, entitled The Corruption of J. Edgar Hoover. In that editorial, you give underscored your membership in a small parade of those given to denigrating the dead and disrespecting the civil rights of special agents of the FBI. One particularly offensive line referred to the FBI's grim chronicle of illicit spying, burglaries, and other violations of civil liberties. This is, I'm going to write the manager. Do you, where's your manager? I, want to talk I was just going to say, this is Grandpa Simpson writing that letter on his typewriter. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> this is exactly that. This is who this guy is. This is, like, yeah. this is the, the foundation of his being. He goes on. He's got a bunch of them. He's on April 18th, 1978. The Times printed another editorial. This one headlined... Uh, prosperity, not politics. And there was a familiar and unpleasant echo in the reference to the FBI's long chronicle of illegal spying, mail openings, and other violations of civil liberties. The latter editorial added, the record is too thoroughly documented to be disputed. So this is our guy. This is who we're dealing with. What did what what did he want them to do? I think he wanted them to apologize and stop writing those stop writing those stories. He just wanted them to know that they were wrong. Like like they shouldn't that that you know the FBI is as American as apple pie and that they're an upstanding member of the the community. And he does a lot of this shit. Like when he's the director, he like goes out to the Elks Lodge and gives talks and like does all these community activities. There's a bunch of like thank you letters in his FBI files of these community organizations are like we really we really enjoyed you coming out and speaking to our group, uh, you know, the last week it's it's really nice to know that the <laughs> fbi is an active part of the community dear mr so. president there are too many states nowadays please eliminate three i am not a crackpot <laughs> that's, that's i can look grandpa. it up i was like what does he say when he's typing a letter <laughs> um so he has a in 1974, he and his wife get a divorce, and it was a nasty one. Um, so he writes the director. It's like, the, I want you to look more like J. Edgar Hoover, and you <laughs> won't do it. I cannot be sexually attracted to you anymore. <laughs> you don't mean you're not totally wrong with what you just <laughs> said, but not in the way you might think. So this is a letter that he writes to his boss, who's the current director, the director at the time, Clarence Kelly, is the director of the FBI. And this is what... I just want you to imagine you writing this to your boss, right? 
It is indeed tragic and unfortunate. Some people marry in an attempt to establish a relationship which never had the possibility of success from the beginning. And ours was such a relationship. We endured a difficult relationship for many of the usual reasons, such as to stay together in the best interest of the children, even though the community of living together as a man and wife had terminated. So would you tell your, like, you're like, Hey, um, so I'm getting divorced because we're not having sex anymore and we can't get along, but I just want the FBI to know that that's the reason that we're getting a divorce. No, like, I wouldn't tell my boss why I'm getting divorced at all. For no, like, like no matter not, what the reason it was, it it's wouldn't not be. important. It's yeah. nothing. Um, he does. There's a bunch of stuff in there about like the divorce settlement and child support that he agreed to pay. Um, but he, he says in the last line, he goes, I assure you my personal problems in no way interfere with my performance of duties, and I will keep you personally advised if anything occurs which could reflect upon my reputation or be of potential embarrassment to the Bureau. Did he do this because he was like, well, I work at the fucking FBI. They'll probably just investigate it anyway. Maybe. But so I, I'll just get ahead of it. Maybe. I think it's just it's like he just he's like this full transparency is the best thing for me. And people need to know that I'm upstanding so I can continue to get promoted through. You think maybe you know, it's like a bit of an ego thing too, where he's like, I bet they'll be wondering why. Yeah. So I should just let them know when in reality, that dude would never fucking wonder why he's getting divorced. <laughs> they, they all know I got a big hog. There's gotta be a reason she's yeah, leaving me. <laughs> that's right. J. Edgar Hoover would want, this is what J. Edgar Hoover would do. He wants yeah, to know. What... Yeah. <laughs> in loving memory of J. Edgar Hoover <laughs> from big dick Ted. Here we go. <laughs> You got to tell him why the wife left. Uh, so, yeah, he just he, he it it sounded like it was unpleasant, and that's too bad. I don't I don't like hearing that. Um, and this is before he's become he becomes a complete maniac. So at this point, I just kind of look at him like you know he's a bit of a suck up, and but mostly harmless. He um, also makes the claim that in 1979 he was in contention for the job of the director of the FBI. And a lot of stuff online will say that he was the director of the FBI, and that's not true. He probably didn't even interview for the job because in 1979, the only people that were getting the spot as the director of the FBI were political appointees. Um, without, with one exception, they've all been lawyers or judges not a guy who went to college and got a, his BA in business administration. So he um, was most likely not even considered for this role. Like he was, even though he was the most senior you can be as a field agent, he was not even in the echelon of like upper management at the FBI. It's a nice story though. So he wanted that job. So he thought he was up for it. Like just told yeah. people he's up yeah. for it. Yeah, he did. Yeah. And, and he's like, he's this kind of guy that like, if someone was like, oh yeah, he used to be the director of the FBI. He wouldn't correct him. Correct. Yeah. You know, like, he'd be like, oh yeah. <laughs> just go. And he gives a lot of talks. Like that's eventually what his career is. Is like, you start speaking at um, conspiracy theory conventions and he, he right. definitely doesn't, he's like, I'm not going to correct anybody on that. Um, you know, I mean, it, when Hoover died, everybody was scared of him. And so they're like, we're not going to put another Hoover in this, <laughs> in this office. Like we need to be able to control whoever it is. They immediately put like term limits on the, on the, on the office. So they're like, yeah. you can't stay in power. Because Hoover was in the office for 48 years. Get the fuck out of here. I'm not even kidding. <laughs> there, he was, he were in the FBI and the predecessor to the FBI until he died 48 years. I mean, you would talk about, he had dirt on everybody, on everybody. He had dossiers. Everybody was scared of him. How was he not killed? 
because he was he had his own little army in the FBI. I mean, like he had he had his gunmen. He had like, huh? They just didn't want to because. And then there's always the risk. Like, did he send this stuff out? Like, he knows everything. He's this like master domestic spy. Like, if he knows that there's a threat on his life, is he going to go ahead and just pre-release it and send it to the New York Times and have him huh. publish all these stories? I mean, like he was this was he was a scary guy. I don't think he's a good guy. I'm starting not. to not think he's a good man. <laughs> Hoover is not a good guy at all. Um. So Gunderson ends up retiring from the FBI in 1979 after 27 years with the agency, and I'm sure he got a fat fucking pension. So as I tell this story, all you have to think, like, you have to keep reminding yourself that he's being paid by the government through his pension. <laughs> like, this is a guy who's out here doing all this wild shit. At the same time, he's collecting a, a paycheck every month that taxpayers are supporting. Yeah which is fun. That's, that's great. I love it. This is, makes me so happy. Um, but instead of like retiring, you know, you got plenty of money coming in, you're doing fine. You got just go, go live your life, go enjoy your kids and your grandkids. And he didn't want to do that. He decided that he was going to go into private practice almost immediately after he retires. So he sets up a company called Ted L. Gunderson and Associates. It's unclear on how many associates he had, but he gets a job right away from the attorney general at the time. His name was Griffin Bell to oversee the Pan Am Games in San Juan, Puerto Rico. Um, this is probably because now he's considered a, a terrorism expert after all the stuff that he did in Philadelphia. Yeah. yeah so yeah. like they're like, oh, yeah, this is the terrorism guy. Let's get him. Let's hire him to go oversee security. And I mean, nothing happens there. It's fine. Like everything worked out at the Pan Am Games. It's a lot like, do you know what that reminds me of? Wolfgang Helbig? Yes. I know exactly. How he's like a, school, he's a security. school safety expert. <laughs> yeah. and but he's also a fucking maniac that isn't that. It's just people have said he's a school safety expert so exactly. much that that's now what he is. That's now what he is. Yep, yeah. That's exactly. This is exactly. And you, this is definitely moving in those same circles. But uh, Gunderson's dead and Wolfgang Halbring is in prison. So. Sadly, yeah, sadly not dead. Yeah, <laughs> sadly not dead. Um, so he is in this private practice, and then along comes the very first big case of his newfound agency. Uh, it is the case of Dr. Jeffrey McDonald. So February 17th, 1970, military police at Fort Bragg received an emergency phone call from Jeffrey McDonald, who was an army physician. So he lived on Fort Bragg. He lived on the military base. Um, upon arriving at his house, uh, 10 minutes later, they found the bodies of McDonald's pregnant wife and two young daughters. And it was really awful. Um, McDonald's story was that he, um, that his daughter was sleeping in his bed and had wet the side of the bed. So he returned her to her own bed he grabbed the blanket on the couch and slept on the couch and then yeah. woke up in the middle of the night to his wife screaming and he got up and there were apparently four people there were like three men and one woman in his house that had killed the wife and the kids um the woman was said to be wearing dark clothes with a blonde wig and a floppy hat and she had been chanting acid is groovy kill the pigs that yep that sounds believable <laughs> yep that's exactly how someone would act for sure <laughs> just, just wait um 
It should also be noted that this happened six months after the Tate LaBianca Manson murders. And okay. they um, also found, you know, like they talked about pigs in that murder, you know, and it was a group of people that broke into a house and Acid killed everybody in groovy. it. Acid is groovy. Kill the pigs. And so uh, in the Tate LaBianca La murders, um, one of them wrote the word pig in blood on the outside of the house. And apparently the same thing was written in blood on the headboard of the of the bed that the wife was sleeping in. So a little sus that this is happening. Yeah. Um, but that just seems like a kind of a, a terrible creative or a terrible cover story from someone who's not very creative. Yeah. Like the garage that got set on fire by uh somebody yeah. that spray painted the Antifa <laughs> and uh you know that kind of fun stuff and an anarchy symbol. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. It turned out to be the owner. The owner trying to collect the insurance money. Um, and I'll t- I will tell you a little bit about what happened to McDonald afterwards, but he um, was eventually eventually tried and convicted. There was a lot of like weird stuff that happened with this case a lot. Like he was originally tried by the army and they deemed that he wasn't guilty. So he got out for a couple of years and he shacked up with the, a bunch of women before remarrying this 22 year old flight attendant and buying a mansion in California. Like he was living his best life when he, before he finally was tried and uh, convicted for the crime. Um, and it was, it was actually his stepfather-in-law who had originally believed him, but then he saw McDonald going out, like living this life. And he's like, I'm not sure that he feels bad. And I don't wonder if maybe he had something to do with my, with my um, stepdaughter's murder. Maybe possibly. So, Hey, I was around a hippie and not one time did they say acid is groovy. (laughs) Starting to think that this isn't a thing they actually say. (laughs) So like I said, he was eventually tried and convicted and hoping to mount an appeal. McDonald's defense team needed an investigator to string together a new narrative of what happened. They needed Ted Gunderson. Yeah. Who won it? Right. They're like, oh, we gotta get we gotta get somebody with some knowledge. Let's get this guy. And I'm gonna show you, I'm gonna play a little bit of Gunderson talking about it. However, my first major investigation when I returned from Puerto Rico was a Dr. Jeffrey R. McDonald case. He's a former Green Beret doctor who was convicted of murdering his wife and two children at Fort Bragg. February 17, 1970. He'd been tried and convicted and sentenced to three consecutive life sentences. I was asked by the defense team to investigate the case because they claimed that Dr. McDonald was innocent. I said I would, but if I learned that he murdered his wife and two children, I would discontinue my investigation and no longer become involved. That's the most boring fucking human I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> <laughs> you have to listen to a lot of him. I'm sorry about that. But I just want to go, okay, Ted, we get he it. He had a job <laughs> public speaking? Well, we'll get to that. He he makes the circuit. He he does this. He, he has this lecture that he works on that we're going to borrow a bunch from. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's, he's, he's in a lot of media. Um, so he's going to continue. This is like picking up right where that left off, where he's talking about if If I find that he's guilty. I'm leaving. I quit. I want you to know I'm still working for Dr. McDonald. He is an innocent man. What? Now, once I became involved in the case, I had to read everything. And I learned that evidence was lost. Evidence was stolen. Evidence was altered. An FBI agent, Paul Stombaugh, lied before the grand jury 
And most important of all, Colette, the wife, had skin where she had fought off the assailants under her fingernails. That skin was handed over to William F. Ivory, the chief investigator for the Army, and it has disappeared. Ten months into the case, October 25, 1980, I, through a series of circumstances, I don't have time to go into the details now, obtained a signed confession from one Helena Stokely. So, yeah. There's a lot going on in this case, and I don't want to just talk about this case, so I didn't leave a lot of the details. But like McDonald had like suffered very minor injuries. Um, you know, the 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 police said that he probably stabbed himself because the cuts were so clean, and he's a doctor, so he knew where to cut, like where to stab him. He did have like fingernail marks on his face, so like when he's this when Gunderson's talking about how she had skin under his her nails it very well could have been mcdonald's skin underneath her nails like there's just there was a lot he even went on national television mcdonald and he was very flip when he talked about his wife like 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 in a way that everybody grieves differently but this guy was like it just didn't seem like he really gave a shit that his wife and two kids had just been murdered. Um, and even the host, Dick Cavett, was like, this is strange. Like, something's going on here. Um, so but, everyone's everyone consents is like, this guy killed his wife. Uh, yeah, I, I think everybody was was on that page. But except Ted Gunderson. Except Ted Gunderson. And, and, just giving and, speeches about how he's actually bad at his job. That's, <laughs> that's wild. Um, so... He said, talks about this woman named Helena Stokely. Stokely was a 17-year-old drug addict at the time of the murders, right? And police, and she was also a police informant, which, you know, if you know a whole lot about police informants, they can they lie um, yeah. because they get paid to provide information. And if they don't have the information, they have to make shit up. Um, so she was actually questioned the first go-around. Like, she was a suspect at the, in the very first investigation. Her story changed so many fucking times. They were like, we can't, we can't put her on the stand. Like she's, she's so unreliable. She's, she's on drugs. She's out of her mind. I actually really feel bad for her. I think that she's, she's more of a victim in this thing than anything else. Um, she's just a mess and she's 17. And I mean, it just, just a lot of bad times in her past, a lot of bad times coming up. But um, basically she, as a, as an informant for the police. She's based out of North Carolina. She's born and raised in North Carolina. This is a story that she comes up with to tell her police handler. Um, it was on May 5th, 1986, P.E. Beasley, retired Fayetteville, North Carolina police officer, advised that Helena Stokely was his drug informant from 1968 to 1972. Helena told Beasley that drugs, mainly heroin, were being smuggled into the United States in the body cavities of the dead soldiers from Vietnam. <laughs> <laughs> these drugs were being brought into the country in U.S. Army planes. Um, Stokely furnished this information to Beasley prior to the McDonald murders on February 17, 1970. So that was her story. That's what made her a credible police That's informant. That's awesome. That fucking uh, rules. And I'm going to say, the U.S. government wants to smuggle drugs into the United States. They don't really have to do that. They can just bring them in. Like, yeah. it's not like this is not some covert thing. Dude, that's great. Because she, like, what if she's just doing a bit where she's just like, I'm going to say the weirdest shit and just see if they buy it. And they well, fucking it. <laughs> so here she continues. 
Just that after the McDonald uh, murders, Stokely told Beasley the drugs were placed in the body cavities in plastic bags after the autopsy in Vietnam and before the bodies were placed on the airplanes. The bodies were then sewn up and shipped to various U.S. Army bases in the U.S., including the air base at Fort Bragg. Stokely advised that those who handled the bodies in Vietnam and the U.S. were Army personnel. Most of the drugs came from Thailand. So it's pretty elaborate that the U.S. Army has all these doctors that are handling the drugs. Um, and there, from what I found about this time, there's only been one incident that I can find that was actually caught by the Army. Um, in December of 1972, a military plane heading to Dover Air Force Base in Delaware was rerouted to Andrews Air Force Base, which is in Maryland, because of a tip that there was heroin being smuggled into the country. There were 64 passengers on the plane. Most of them were GIs, and then there were two bodies of dead soldiers. The tip said specifically that the drugs were sewn into the bodies. Um, so the plane and the bodies were searched and no drugs were found. Not a single drug in the body, <laughs> outside of the body, in the plane, nothing was found. However, and this is kind of the weird part, and I think this is enough to like get a conspiracy theorist antenna going, they did arrest a guy named Thomas E. Sutherland for impersonating a member of the armed forces. Full of heroin. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody knows why he was on the plane, uh, but it was enough, like I said, to start kind of like, ooh, but maybe yeah. there's something there. Maybe that, that is sewn into his keister. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, Gunderson has kind of now he has his like his version of events, right? He's now yeah. going to go on and say that Dr. McDonald was one of the guys that was dealing in this big heroin circle that was taking place on army bases, but he needed someone to back him up. So Stokely, right? This is the story. This this story that she, this absurd story that she's telling is perfect. Gunderson can absolutely make this work. Just lock me in a room with this poor girl and give me a few hours and I will get a confession out of her and we'll make sure that she that she says everything she's supposed to say and then we'll get my guy off. Um, so this is, uh, he does that. He gets access to her and he interviews her for more than 30 hours. In three Jesus. different occasions. Can you imagine talking to that boring motherfucker for 30 hours? Three 10-hour sessions. Terrible. <laughs> one a month. And he finally like coerced a statement out of her. Um, this is a report by Gunderson. He said, uh, Helena Stokely advised that her satanic cult group planned <laughs> the McDonald murders on Halloween night of 1969. At that time, McDonald was assigned to the military hospital in Fort Bragg, North Carolina, but was moonlighting for extra money at a civilian hospital in Fayetteville. Most military personnel sought treatment for drug overdoses at the civilian rather than the military hospital to avoid a dishonorable discharge. Someone at the civilian hospital was reporting that these individuals was reporting these individuals to army officials and they were dishonorably discharged. So now his story is gun. I mean, uh, McDonald was moonlighting, right? But also mm -hmm. he was a secret informer for the army and was snitching on all of these other army people who were getting overdoses. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I'm going to tell you what, sometimes the, it's like, it's just so obvious what happened, you know, but these yeah. conspiracy theorists just like contort themselves and, and just go like, I was like, this, it's not, this doesn't happen. It's too complicated. People can't think like that. Like they don't, there's no way to pull this off. 4D chess. Uh, so I'm going to play a little bit of the interview with Stokely and in this interview, I believe she's either 28 or 29, um, but you can just tell kind of by looking at her that she's had a she's had a pretty tough go. Dr. Jeffrey McDonald was discussed as early as October 
1969. Um, he was not cooperative in helping heroin addicts. He was more interested in working with um, people on hallucinogenics and things like that. Um, well, yeah, they were fun. He just wouldn't cooperate with us at all. In the cult? No, with heroin addicts. And most of the people involved with the cult were on opiates of some sort. And um, so as early as October, as I recall, he was discussed uh, about 10 or 10.30, more towards 11 o'clock that night. He was discussed because he had given someone some, uh, well, they had tried to get some help, and he refused it and uh, tried to turn them over to the authorities on the base. You talk about the night before the murder. So this is weird because this changes the story again, right? So her now what she's saying is that McDonald is refusing to treat heroin users. And so the heroin users, many of whom are in the satanic cult, decide to kill him, Mm -hmm. which is very different than him snitching on people in the army and getting them dishonorably discharged. This is the thing. It's like the the story changes so fucking much. But he, you know, he's like, "I, I broke the case, boys. It's like, here it is. This is all it. Um, the other thing is that, like, yeah, she, it's just, she's, I don't know what he did to her. Like, that's what I want to know. Like, how, what did he do to her to coerce this statement out of here? This is a guy with FBI training. And even though he was just like an office dude, they all go through the same training. And he's picking on this poor, this poor woman who's, you know, had a terrible addiction, still had a bad addiction at the time. Um, so, yeah. It's it's not good, and it doesn't really make a lot of sense, but I'm going to keep playing that clip because this is what she says right after that. Um, when he did that, it was suggested that someone approach him and try to make him realize, you know, that he had to help us or something like that. How could he help you? Changing his ways, really. So you went into the house in order to convince him that he should change his ways and his attitude toward the drug addicts in that area, the, the area of Fayetteville and Fort Bragg. The night of the murders, there was no discussion of murder at all. Was there discussion of murder in October of 1969? Only if he didn't cooperate. Did they go in with the idea of murdering the family? Not the night of the murders, no. But they did discuss it in 1969, October? No, not murdering. Well, now, you told Mr. Beasley and me previously that they had planned to go in and murder the family. They said if oh, no. cooperate, something would be done. <laughs> yeah. She can't remember her story. She can't keep her story straight. Also, I just really quickly want to go back to like what McDonald's story was, that he was woken up because someone was killing his family, right? Yeah. He didn't tell, oh, yeah, the satanic cult came to my house to discuss the terms of me treating these heroin patients, and I said no, and then they killed my family. Like, that's not his story. That wasn't his testimony. Like, we're we're so far away from, like, a Manson family showing up at his house and killing his whole family to now it's, like, this whole thing about drugs and this wild conspiracy. Like, it just doesn't – it it it's so far from where it started. And this Gunderson is proud of. He talks about it a lot. This is, like, a big deal for him. Like, he's like, look he what I did. It? Does huh? he believe this, or do you think he knows that he, he's oh, totally fucking wrong? On I this? think he believes it. I think this is the beginning of his his, his decline. Okay, <laughs> I mean, this is like he pilled himself even before the internet was a thing. Yeah, <laughs> this is definitely what that is. Um, it's it's not great to watch. Um, that I I felt really bad for her. I just and I'm gonna read this next part and 
you maybe see why. Um, so Stokely told Beasley and me, being Gunderson, in October of 1980 that she would drop a bombshell and tell all if given immunity. I asked the Department of Justice for immunity for her. When Dr. McDonald's new defense attorney, a former assistant U.S. attorney, learned about this in 1982, he wrote the Department of Justice and told them to disregard my request. There was never any follow-up. So McDonald got a new attorney and they're like, I don't know who this fucking Gunderson guy is, but you need to get him the fuck out of here. It's just, he's, <laughs> he's clearly not doing what he's supposed to be doing. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I swear I got a confession. He's like, come on, man. Nobody Who's believes that shit. Who the fuck are you? <laughs> Go away. <laughs> they're just like, there's a whole thing that's basically like go away yes <laughs> no and this is a pattern that's about to emerge of people like authority figures going who the fuck is this guy where'd he come from and he's like fbi i used to be fbi and they're like yeah but you're saying crazy shit like that's all you're doing <laughs> like you're just you're making things up um unfortunately stokely died um a year after this was filmed at the age of 30 um, she had uh, cirrhosis of the liver because, again, she was a heavy drug user. Um, it was really sad. She had just um, given birth about six months before. So she had a six month old child. And Gunderson immediately thought that was a conspiracy and someone must have killed her because. Oh, yes, I was just going to make a joke about it, but I guess it's just true. Oh, no, it's not. Everything... Ted Gunderson investigator. Do, 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 like, whatever your worst instincts are to these things, it's usually the, the one where he was like, <laughs> that's what I think. <laughs> So, um, yeah, it's 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 wild. Um, maybe the wildest thing about it is after conducting these interviews, Gunderson is appointed to the position of narcotics consulting agent by the governor of California. They're like, he did such a good job talking about like drugs getting smuggled and bodies from Vietnam and dealing with all this this drug addicts. There's people gonna, buying this shit. They love it. They lap it up. He's got credibility. Yes. You know what it is? <laughs> It's totally, he's got credibility. He was in the FBI for 27 years. He clearly knows what he's talking about. This is the shit that happened with like General Michael Flynn, right? Yes. The reason yeah, people listen to him, he's got cred. And they're but like, he also took the oath to be a digital soldier from a, <laughs> from a made up man on, on HN. Like, yes, yes. I actually, and, and I, I, if you work in the government, you're definitely not immune to this kind of thought process, right? There's a lot. Yeah. I was getting, um, I have the first time I got TSA, like global entries, because I was doing a ton of travel for work. So I went and got it. And at the interview, I started talking to this guy and I'm just talking friendly, whatever. This guy works for the um, Department of Homeland Security, immediately starts talking about George Soros. And I was like, oh, what no, I was like, <laughs> This guy's in the government. Like, I'm just, I don't get to be here. And I was just like, ha ha, yeah, totally. So, and I'm just like, I have to be nice to you because you have to approve this. If you don't approve this, I don't get it. Like, I don't get my like global entry. But I was just like, this is in New York City, man. There's a dude working for customs in New York City that's going George Soros. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> what if he was fucking with you to see if you would buy it? Because like then you wouldn't get approved. Like yeah. he was trying to act crazy to see if you would go along with it to see if you're a crazy person. He's like he's like we low key make, talk about uh, like make an anti-Semitic remark and see how you react, and then I'll approve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your entry if status. you would have been like all on board, he would have been like, no, no. <laughs> I panicked. I I didn't know what to do. So I was like, yeah, huh. and then it was fine. I got approved. It was all good. But I was just like, that was a moment. <laughs> um. So he, after he was this narcotics advisor 
for the state of California. He gets brought on as a consultant for the 1984 Olympic Games in Los Angeles. He was a security and anti-terrorism consultant. Um, upwards, dude. Yeah, I know, right? He's he's going. Uh, do you know very much about the 84 games in Los Angeles? No, nothing. I'm uh, I'm admittedly not an Olympics person in right. general at all. It was truly fucking horrific. The LAPD and the way that they acted before the Olympics was just awful. I mean, so this is from a piece in the Washington Post by Michael McDougal and Macintosh Ross. It says, in the round to the 1984 Los Angeles Olympics, for example, authorities viewed the city's sizable unhoused community as a nu- nuisance and a public eyesore. Homelessness was criminalized, with police striving to drive the unhoused even further to the margins, far from the gaze of the visiting Olympic tourists. Um, according to police captain Bill Billy Wedgworth, who participated in such efforts, police were hoping to, quote, sanitize the area. Oh, my God. Yeah. The 84 Olympics were considered a success, but they also helped militarize the Los Angeles Police Department and accelerated the arrests and incarceration of African-American men. These guys went this town city, Los Angeles, went to war against the homeless people. And they were like destroying, you know, rundown buildings that, that had, you know, people living in them. I mean, it was just it was it was a nightmare. Absolute nightmare because they wanted for the to, fucking Olympics. Yeah, they wanted to look pretty. They wanted to look clean. We don't want for to see the worst, any homeless. The worst, like the Olympics, are all the sports no one cares about. Like they're impossible <laughs> to care about them other than once every four years. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like there couldn't be like sprinting every like it's sprinting season. Like it would <laughs> never work. It's like the only reason the Olympics work is because these sports are every four years. Well. Also, the IOC, the International Olympic Commission, uh, Committee, is a grift. I mean, they're a bunch of grifting assholes. Yeah. They are, and we're definitely, one of these days, I'm going to get around to talking about them because I, I couldn't get a, a one together in time for the Olympics this last year or this last go around, but I definitely want to do it. There's, um, of all people, um, Henry Kissinger is in, is part of the IOC what? for some fucking reason, you know, cause that man's ever did anything sports wise, but he's like, <laughs> an, he's an IOC ambassador and they get like, he gets like a stipend of, I can't remember the exact number, but it was a shocking number of like $500 a day for meals whenever he's participating in these events. So he just kind of goes and parties wherever it is. And anytime like they, court a new town like the town rolls out the city rolls yeah. out the red carpet for him and treats these people like they were gods and it's wild there's all kinds of shit like the olympics committee has a seat on the un like they're considered their own like entity mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's bananas man it is so corrupt though i do um, like curling though <laughs> that would be the sport you'd like yeah, I, get real, I do that's i do watch curling well marble <laughs> racing is an olympic sport yet so not yet yeah not yet I'm going to make it happen. Henry Kissinger, call me. I got ideas. <laughs> Please don't call me. I don't want to talk to Kissinger. <laughs> Can I believe that man's still alive? Um, so the the same year that Gunderson is hired for the McDonald case. By the way, McDonald's still in prison. He's still alive. He's still, he never got out. Like Gunderson didn't miraculously get this guy out of jail. He, I think at this point, he's exhausted all of his appeals process, uh, all of his appeals that he could do. And he's just going to spend. Bro, what if like Ted Gunderson just keeps fucking it up for him? <laughs> Where he's just like, stop fighting for me. You're a maniac. Please, please, you make me look bad. We haven't paid you in 30 years. Please stop. <laughs> he's like, I'm doing, it for, just like, I'm doing it for free, Jeffrey. I've got to, I'm going to get you out of prison. Don't worry. I'm going to fight 
till my last breath to get you out of here. It's just like, no, please don't. Don't don't do anything. Don't do anything. Just go and retire, please. Just close up shop. Go. Why don't you go beat some homeless people up in Los Angeles? So um, that same year that Gunderson was hired for the McDonald case, a book titled Michelle Remembers is published. And oh boy, this shit really hits the fan with this stupid ass book. (laughs) This is a book that was authored by Michelle Smith's real life psychiatrist, a guy by the name of Lawrence Pazder. In it, he writes that over the course of sessions with Michelle, she revealed that in 1954, at the age of five, she was abused in a ritual performed by the Church of Satan. Okay. Yeah. So here's from a write-up in the National Post. It says, the entire book comes from around 600 hours of Smith's testimony in Pazder's office, delivered in the voice of a child while she was in a trance-like state. In halting half-sentences, Smith told Pazder of being driven into a satanic cult by her mother at five years old. You're not mine anymore, Michelle. You belong to the devil, her mother reportedly said. Um, one, uh, over months of imprisonment, she is forced to drink urine, eat cannibalized flesh, bathe in the blood of dismembered babies, participate in ritual murders, and endure a cage filled with snakes and spiders. Totally Together? Not. I guess so, yeah. Spiders. The snakes didn't eat the spiders. No, they because, no, they were in a line. It was a, they had, a, a, they had a, um, an agreement with Satan yeah, to not eat yeah, each yeah. other. <laughs> of course. I'm silly, yeah. I don't Come know. on, get it together. You're such, a, you're such a Christian. You have no imagination. Um, <laughs> so in the climax, Smith encounters Satan himself in a, quote, feast of the beast, unquote, organized mm-hmm. by her oppressors, but is ultimately saved by the direct intervention of the Virgin Mary. This is all in the book. The book was a massive fucking hit. (laughs) (laughs) You think I broke Ed? He made so much money. (laughs) So it was, the author was given $100,000 for a hardcover advance, and then it earned an additional $240,000 for paperback and movie rights, which is well over. Just like the books. first book of that kind, then yeah. because like that's such generic shit, right? Yeah, like, it was. It was the first. Well, it wasn't. It may not have been the very first one, but it was the first one to like find an audience, and it just timed so perfectly that it blew up. That's like baby's first Satan worshiping. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. just the most cliche it shit is. in the world. Oh, it's awful. But people bought it. I mean, like uh, this is. I mean, in today's dollar, it was over a million dollars that they made off. Jesus. Book. Now. Almost immediately, the book's claims were debunked. Like, right out of the <laughs> people were like, this is such bullshit. It didn't matter. People bought it anyway. They don't care. People like, yeah, love, they like they the, love story. the story. They love the story. Um, the book, for instance, didn't mention Michelle's older or younger sisters as victim of the abuse. Like, Michelle was somehow really special, and she was the <laughs> only one that was abused by this satanic cult. Um, and it also, there were, like, a few specific events. There was, like, a car accident that no one could verify. Um, but just some stuff that, like, couldn't be verified. There's no, there's no evidence that any of this happened. Yeah. Also, they the book doesn't disclose that Pazder and Michelle uh, had had an affair. <laughs> they both left their families and got married to each other, <laughs> which is icky because he's her psychiatrist and it's, he it was that's gross. So he wrote the book about his wife and um, even Anton Levay. Here he is. He, he got up. Shout he out. got into the action and he sued the shit out of Pazder because he, on behalf of the Church of Satan, because he said yeah. the church and he said the Church of Satan has not hadn't even been formed in 1954. So you, this is <laughs> this is fucking libel. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> Anton was like, no, no, don't drag my shit in that, which I think is one of the funnier things that happened over the course of this thing. Did he um, win? Huh? I think, no, a pa- pastor, uh, they edited the book, like future printings of the book. Okay. So I don't know if it actually went to court, but it scared Pazder enough where he was like, okay, 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 okay. And it might have exaggerated the names of things. <laughs> it's like uh, 2000 Mules. Oh, yeah, exactly. How that book, the like book the, mo- the end of the movie is like, buy the book and I'll name names of the companies that did this. And then they did it. And then those companies were going to seriously pull the book. They pulled the book. <laughs> like, no, we're taking that a out. A few copies got out there, though, too. There's a few yeah. reporters that hit up a bunch of bookstores and they were able to find like the the first issue. And then the issue that they. Dinesh <laughs> is so fucking stupid. Oh, he's, so stu- he's a future episode. He's such for a sure. dumb fucking person. He's so stupid. But. <laughs> Um, he would have been in on this too, man, for sure. For sure. Um, so he, dude, that's all I can think of because I'm so like Alex Jones brained at this point. Is this like God? I wish Alex Jones was around during this time. I like, know. well, Alex is gonna make a drop in. He's coming. He's coming on the show. <laughs> yes! and it's a, it's oh, a, yes. Don't worry. This is this is all leading up to a place. Um, so it this the book was huge, right? And it sets off a chain of people that start going through regression therapy in order to remember past traumas that usually never actually happen. Spoiler, yeah. sorry. Um, Michelle and Pazder do the rounds 10 years after the book was published, right? 10 years after it's been debunked, um, Michelle <laughs> appeared on Oprah Winfrey to tell her story. What? Because Oprah is maybe the worst spreader of the satanic panic like she was no in on this shit oh yeah she was really really bad all the daytime tv hosts were really bad geraldo yeah. did a, like a two-hour special which we're going to play a little bit of, from about satanic panic and all of the the satanic cults that were kidnapping children all of them were in donahue they all did this shit um so you now you've got this is me kind of setting the stage right you got michelle remembers MTV goes live in 1981, right? Heavy metal mm-hmm. music on the television, clearly satanic. Yes. Uh, an explosion in horror movies. Like the 80s were like the golden age of horror movies. And Dungeons and Dragons, right? Clearly satanic. It all <laughs> happens like at the same time and makes this like perfect fucking storm of satanic abuse. Um, the other Why thing is... is- Dungeons and Dragons included in this. Because it's just it's, nerds playing pretend. Yeah, but it has like dragons and orcs and <laughs> things that are like not in the Bible. <laughs> you know? It's like the religious people that go after Harry Potter because it's exactly there's magic it in it. It's exactly what it is. Um, yeah, but at least like, nah, I guess. Yeah, that makes sense. So the other thing that kind of happens at this time that I wasn't aware of until I started pulling research for the show was that there was um, a bunch of legislation passed protecting children that were the victims of sexual abuse, right? Before okay. it had been considered like a pro, like an incest issue, you know, that that should have been handled by like family therapists and counselors. Mm-hmm. Now there was suddenly like legal consequences to doing that and good, you know, that's good. That's what it should be. If you do this and you are convicted of it, you should go to jail, right? Like you're, this is not, I don't believe that that is, I believe that's good legislation. So I think what happened is all of this stuff was going on. This legislation went through and people just went batshit crazy. And that is going to kind of set us up for part two. So we're going to talk about part two next time. Um, Ed, you got anything you want to you want to plug I, or any last comments? I like that as we get closer to this, I'm figuring out that this isn't necessarily about the satanic church. It's mm-hmm. more about someone profiting off of satanic panic. 
And uh, I really, I'm sure it'll come into play more next time. I'm enjoying the parallels between that time and today. Oh my God. It's, like what? Yeah. This and QAnon, like this is, yeah. this is like the QAnon I'm origin a big story. QAnon guy. I should, I should preface. <laughs> I'm not, I don't believe it. Uh, QAnon interests me. It's yeah. a big interest of mine. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, so this is, this is really kind of a QAnon origin story and it's just yeah, going to get is. wackier as we go. But the first, you know, really we just wanted to set up um, Gunderson's background and then you're going to really start to see some familiar players uh, kind of eat in uh, in different places. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a lot of fun. And it's awful. It's also awful. Like what a lot of these kids went through um, because of all of this hysteria. And that's what because it is. People were scared of like the babiest version of metal music. Oh, I know. <laughs> you know what I mean? MTV metal music is like the baby metal music. It's not even real. Like it would get way worse. Yeah. And they're oh, already scared of it at that. Way worse. Like, <laughs> this is the stuff. I just think of like Tipper Gore, Al Gore's wife, talking about how video games and metal music was, you know, making people, making kids do bad things. I think that's yeah. the reason for school shootings. I was like, oh, while you're waiting for the next episode, definitely check out uh, the nice little documentary on HBO called Paradise Lost The Child Murders at Robin Hood Hills. Has a lot to do with the uh, satanic panic. Yeah. And uh, the wrongful uh, conviction, wrongful conviction of three young men who fit the bill, as they say, oh. and spent uh, 18 years of their lives behind bars for something they didn't do. Yeah, there, I think this, Necronomapod did this. They did. They did do that. Yeah, there. This spreads out. I mean, I there's no. I could do a whole entire podcast just about like how far out the satanic panic spread. Um, but I just kind of want to like I'm sort of skipping through it because I just want to hit Gunderson's role in it because mm. he's going to be important because of who all of the people he inspired. And I will tell you on the next episode who we, we're going to cover next and is a direct result of Gunderson and his bullshit. Uh, you got any plugs, Ed? Uh, Pod Van Dam. Um, you can listen to that. New episodes every Thursday. Um... Belle Delphine's, you know, got OnlyFans. Check that out. You see her vagina in her bubble. I think that's a good place to end it. You know, Dalton usually does yeah. our friends roll, and I'm not going to do that because if you've been listening for 40 episodes, you know who to follow at this it's point. It's the same ones. It's same the ones. same ones. It's the same ones. It hasn't changed. Um, yeah. But I guess in closing, I just want to say stay beautiful. So nice.
This is all on the internet, by the way. And while Austin is gone, I'm going to play audio clips that I have on my phone. <laughs> okay, that's twice. Um, what else do we got? Okay, what's Okay, that's twice. <laughs> um, what's this one? <sighs> it's twice. Okay, that's twice. Um, what is this one? Oh, okay. <laughs> I was gonna say if it's another twice one, this is a really great bit. I'm really enjoying this, and I'll save this I'm for the end of the show again. Seconds of this play because it makes me laugh so hard. I forgot I had this on my phone. Hey, dumbass! Cool shoes. Uh, who got them for you? The freaking shoe fairy. Uh, hey, bitch! <laughs> nice hat. Where'd you get it? The hat fairy. You fucking cunt. Did you get your hat from the hat fairy, you slut? Fuck you. Hey, listen to me. Hey, look. Hey, you piece of fucking shit. Hey, you piece of fucking piece of shit. Look at me. Listen to me. Listen to me. Fuck you. Where'd you get your shirt? Was it from the shirt fairy? Hey, kill yourself. Skating 420 on Twitter. Yeah, Um, yeah. Uh, She's, uh, I've seen her on TikTok. Uh, a while ago when i first started on tiktok like two years ago i remember seeing her videos all the time and she had some really funny content and people in the comments would get so upset because like she would say something that was completely wrong on purpose and people would be trying to like mansplain to her and she just would fucking no sell it it was the best well dude it's like do you remember Papinia stewart Mm -hmm. she like did youtube videos and she did one where it's like clearly it's very tongue-in-cheek but she's very good at pulling it off to where she was like I was talking to a guy and uh, he lives in the UK. I was talking about the Sims expansion pack that I wanted. And he's like, oh, I want it too. And I was like, yeah, it's a lot of money. And she's, and he's like, yeah, it's like 40 pounds. And she's just like, and I am just like, why does it weigh so much more over there? Is it because like they're closer to the moon? So gravity is different. And it's just like all these people be like this, and they'll like put her on like idiot compilations of like dumb people, and like because they don't get it's a bit. It was so fucking good. 